Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser. Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Storyteller, historian, Hellraiser. It's Dave Carter, and this is the Dave Carter Show. Man, it is so good to be back. We're loaded up with good stuff here. Ricochet icon Doc J is here with a physician's perspective on COVID-19. Ricochet member Old Bathos will stop by for a chat. And we've got some demented commentary from Ross Perot straight ahead. I'm Dave Carter. I'm a retired military veteran with three combat tours in the Middle East, one year spent in Korea, and various other deployments to uh, some interesting places. I'm a former 18-wheeler driver with over a million miles logged across the country, a former private detective, a radio show host, and God knows what else. But right now, I'm doing what I love, which is talking with you, writing articles, and just uh, basically having a good time. I'm, I'm not sure uh, well, how long ago it was that Ricochet opened his doors. I think it was in 2010. But... Uh, not long after that, we began reading the comments and the ruminations of a guy who went by the nickname of Doc J. And the Doc part was appropriate, of course, uh, since he's a highly respected uh, physician and accomplished physician. I met Doc when we had our national get-together in Las Vegas. I believe that was in late 2013. Incredibly nice guy, spontaneously funny. You never know what he's going to say next, to be quite honest. But he's always a gentleman. He retired from his medical practice a while back. Uh, more or less receding into the woodwork, as it were. But he graciously has agreed to have a chat with us today about the coronavirus. And uh, so we'll be talking with him in a little bit. Also, a Ricochet member, uh, Old Bathos, that's his uh, username, if you will, his nickname on the site. He'll be on hand to chat uh, uh, as part of our continuing Meet the Member series on the show, which I think you'll find very interesting as well. And also, Ross Perot, who makes periodic, uh, periodic appearances on the show and has been doing so since I was... Oh, gosh, back in the radio days. Uh, he'll be alone to talk about whatever it is on uh, his uh, crazy mind. But first, how are you folks getting along uh, with this virus rearing its ugly head? I mean, it's from one part of the globe to the other, one corner to the other. I know uh, one of the worst things about all this is the uncertainty, right? We're fortunate uh, here in my household in that my wife is able to work from home uh, doing the, that accounting thing that she do oh so well. Uh, I'm out of work for the time being, at least, while we see how this thing's going to shake out. Uh, so we are by no means out of the woods, but obviously it could be worse. And uh, and we pray that this does not become worse and does not that does become the case for anyone uh, anywhere. Meanwhile, there doesn't appear to have been uh, any real let-up in the crime and in the shootings and the mindless uh, nitwittery 
that defines so much of life here in Memphis. I don't know if that's the case where you are. I know in Baltimore, I saw uh, where the mayor was basically asking uh, the local uh, idiots to stop shooting each other so they can reserve hospital space for the people who were falling sick to this thing so they could please just call a timeout in the mayhem. That would be helpful. So hopefully the folks who listen to the mayor uh, there and that nitwittery will come to a stop. Is that a word, nitwittery? If not, it needs to become one. So the restaurants here are closed. The service sector is taking a tremendous hit, and we're doing uh, what we can to avail ourselves of takeout options uh, to support various restaurants and our friends who are in that industry and uh, still need to work, still need to have a job. So if you have some takeout, well, take it out and enjoy the show. We uh, have always the entertaining and illuminating Doc J lined up and a conversation with Ricochet member Old Bethos coming up. And now here with commentary on the top issues of the day is the Dave Carter Program's senior political analyst, the late H. Ross Perot. Well, it's about damn time you had me back on your show, Larry. I'm not Larry. And I'm not amused, Lorenzo. Now look, we got ourselves in a real pickle here. A perfectly pervasive and pitiless, perilous, perplexing, and poisonous pandemic. <laughs> it's accompanied by pathetic, preposterous, pointless, panic pandemonium all the way from New York City to butt-blemish Arkansas, Larry. From the Salmonilla Valley clear over to Possum Pecker, Pennsylvania, <laughs> people are practically paralyzed and petrified. Well, I know, but I mean... I ain't done yet. Fine. You see, Lucy... I've been watching the press conferences, and the problem is all those pompous, posturing, pretentious, prevaricated... Easy there. Take a deep breath. You can do it. Paranoid, peevish, petulant, pernicious, petty little piss ants in the press. And I ain't just blowing pumpkin pie up your petticoat either. <laughs> you see, Loretta, we got two problems here. Right. First is the virus, which keeps popping up like a national game of whack-a-mole or some damn thing. The second problem is the press itself, which keeps confusing political prosecution with the objective reporting of facts. Yeah. Hell, they wouldn't know an objective question if it did a lap dance for him. Here's an actual question from a, from a reporter, Lindsay. Okay, why do you keep calling this the Chinese virus? Because German measles, West Nile virus, Middle East respiratory syndrome, Spanish flu, <laughs> legionary disease, and Rocky Mountain spotted fever were already taken, you Potomac-dwelling dimwit. Larry, I think it's about dang time that someone had the unadulterated gumption to stand up and say, well, what's on a lot of people's minds? These people are batshit crazy, Larry, and their sense of self-importance is, well, to use a term from the Clinton administration, overblown, if you ask me. <laughs> Tell me something, Lavender. Do you remember the, that, that overused literary gimmick that some sap came up with to describe characteristics of a word? Uh, let's use the word mom, for example, where the M stands for manic depressive and O stands for something else. <laughs> yes, I remember. The next remember. time you hear those self-important weasels, just remember the word press. That's right, press. P stands for pass, as in pass the f***. <laughs> R stands for remedial, for obvious reasons. E stands for ear-splitting. S stands for sanctimonious. Yeah. And the last S, well, that stands for scrambled, which is what happened to the craniums of these stupefyingly stunted mental midgets. Right. I'll take self-service lobotomies for $500, Alex. <laughs> you can take that to the bank. That's all for now, Leopold, and thanks much for having me on your show. I can't stop loving you.
Dave Carter on Ricochet. That's Ross Perot on the Dave Carter program. Followed by none other than Ray Charles singing I Can't Help I Can't Stop Loving You. Now, some of our younger listeners may or may not know that Ray Charles was, uh, in addition to being an amazing musician, a genius, uh, he's also blind. He had begun losing his sight at around the age of five and was completely blind uh, by the time he reached seven years old. You know, but even he would have been able to see the seriousness of the situation in which we now find ourselves with respect to this virus. I understand that New York is already experiencing a shortage of ventilators, for example, and they are absolutely essential to the, uh, to the treatment of, uh, and recovery of people who have this uh, COVID-19 virus. An article <clears throat> appeared in the New York Post a couple of days ago, and it really got my attention. I want to read just a little bit of this for you so you kind of get an idea of what happened. It says, uh, quote, several years ago, after learning that the Empire State's stockpile of medical equipment had 16,000 fewer ventilators than the 18,000 New Yorkers would need in a severe pandemic, state public, official, uh, state public health leaders came to a fork in the road. They could have chosen to buy more ventilators to back up the supplies that hospitals maintain, Instead, the health commissioner, Howard Zucker, assembled a task force for rationing the ventilators they already had. In 2015, that task force came up with rules that will be imposed when ventilators run short. Patients assigned a red code will have the highest access, and other patients will be assigned green, yellow, or blue, which is the worst, depending on the quote-unquote triage officer's decision. In truth, a death officer. Let's, let's not sugarcoat it. It won't be up to your doctor Unquote. So there you have it, folks. Five years ago, they could have made the decision to get the number of ventilators necessary to serve New Yorkers in a severe pandemic, or they could have elected to play God and decide who gets the life-saving devices and who doesn't. And that's what they did. And that's what so many governments so often do. And that's why so many of us resist handing control of your health care over to politicians who are no more virtuous than the rest of us and no more organically suited to control your life simply by virtue of holding public office. Well, that turns serious pretty quickly. Um, so let's take a deep breath and take a step back and enjoy a, a quick chat with a member of the Ricochet community, shall we? Folks, you hear me brag constantly about the caliber of the membership of the Ricochet community. We have professors and doctors, engineers, military experts, even a concrete guru, along with truckers and cops and clergy. In other words, the folks that keep the country going. And so why shouldn't we get to hear from these folks directly and learn more about them and from them? So relax enjoy the conversation. If you think this is something you'd like to be a part of, but you're not a member, you know, well, I'll tell you what. We have a special deal just for you, the listeners of this program. We've got a link exclusively for our listeners at the Dave Carter Show. So if you're not a member now, take your smartphone or computer over to ricochet.com slash gumbo. How appropriate is that? And you'll get a free 30-day trial membership to Ricochet. Have a look, kick the tires, see what you think. If you like what you see and like what you hear, then you can become a regular member. And who knows, I enjoy having interesting members on the show with me, so you could end up on the program here as well. But either way... I'm confident enough that you'll like what you see at Ricochet 
that I'm happy to offer you a free 30-day trial of Ricochet. So just going over to, to ricochet.com slash gumbo, G-U-M-B-O, to learn more. Now, there's a gentleman whose work I was reading just a few days ago when I suddenly had more time to myself than usual thanks to the COVID-19 issue. So I was perusing the latest articles on Ricochet when I saw the following title, quote, Curmudgeonly Reflections on St. Patrick's Day, unquote. Well, the author had me with the first word, curmudgeon, since that's basically what I am by disposition, and I have been for a really long time. So I began reading the article, and then I read this at the very beginning, quote, There is a corned beef and cabbage dinner underway at home. There will be a family gathering, and I will once again pretend to like corned beef and cabbage. The fact that this is considered a high point of Irish cuisine is itself a sad commentary on the fate of that historically troubled place, unquote. After reading just that little bit, I was amazed because I didn't know I had a brother. (laughs) Judging from the author's general outlook, I think there's some sort of misanthropic kinship here. And so I knew I had to explore this further. I'm talking about Ricochet, a member who goes by the uh, username of Old Bethos. And it's a pleasure to welcome him to the program. How are you, sir? Doing very well. Thank you. Well, thank you for taking a few moments to, uh, to chat with us here. Um... I sometimes get the impression that if one is Irish, as I am, at least in part, one must be a fan of cabbage and corned beef. But you've relieved me happily of that of that idea. I, I don't have to pretend otherwise, right? That's true. Um, be free. What's that? I said be free. Well, I, I see. is dispensed. <laughs> I, uh, there was another quote that you had in here. Uh, it, it, I don't have the name in front of me here, but you'll re- recognize it as soon as you hear it. This is uh, someone that you quoted from the article. Being Irish, he had an abiding sense of tragedy, which sustained him through temporary periods of joy. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah that's William Butler Yeats. Okay. In fact, I, I have a T-shirt with that on the front. Oh, do you really? It's yeah, it's, it's wonderful. It says so much. Well, and that's what I was wondering. So, because I'm, I'm, again, I'm, part irish i'm a lot of other things too basically a pound puppy i guess so is this sense of tragedy generally regarded as an irish trait well i that's it's, it, there's a bit of humor there it's uh it would you, there was a lot of darkness in the history and the uh-huh. sense of humor of, of the irish uh, i think reflects that and there's a, a deep love abiding love of sarcasm yeah um, yeah I mean, that's very much there and uh but the yeah, there there is a there is a touch of pessimism. Um, I mean, my father uh, was certainly like that. Uh, my mother would just laugh about how he could you know he could always find the dark side no matter how well you know, how well things were going. But. My my grandfather uh, named Carter, of course, and um, uh, he he wasn't necessarily didn't have a dark. Well, he did have a sort of a dark side, I guess. But his was more uh, just pure sarcasm in a humorous way. You know, he was making a cup of coffee one time and my grandmother said, hey, daddy, what are you doing? And he said, I'm brushing my teeth. You know, <laughs> like, what, what does it look like I'm doing? That was that was his kind of subtle digs and things. But I, it was interesting. Though. I don't know. Uh, he reminded me a lot of Dean Martin, who was not Irish, but still. Um, my, my father, uh, I think the the best wisdom he ever gave me, I, I was, I don't know, 16, and I was, I, was very, I was very upset about something, and I was about to make a dramatic speech, and um, he pulled down his newspaper. He looked at me, and he said, uh, your parents were not perfect, neither were mine, get over it, and then went back to reading the paper. And, uh, oh, wow. <laughs> you know, it was well, kind of 
took wind out, but you know. That, I mean, there's little subtlety there, but sometimes we need that, right? Yes, I know I did. So. But um, so you you joined uh, Ricochet? Do I have it correct that you joined in 2014? That sounds about right. How how did you find us? Um, I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't recall how I did that. Uh, I mean, it's, a, it's probably an accident. <laughs> Yeah, a lot, a lot of folks said they they uh, they you know saw a, a link or something on on a National Review, or tuned in to Peter Robinson's uh, uh, Hoover deal, uh, uncommon knowledge, and, and found us that way. It's interesting yeah. how different people kind of wander over here over time. Yeah, it was uh, it was instantly attractive. Um, I mean, I just I just like the tone and the, the content, um, being, and people who write on ricochet or comment um they they all share kind of a sense of what it is we're we're trying to do Mm -hmm. in terms of of the tone and the quality and um you know it uh, you know it's just a good place to be i I remember for a while long time back the uh, the chat room on town hall at heritage used to be like that but then it just degenerated oh really yeah, it was kind of overrun by uh, some very strange people that they just couldn't keep off, and it was just too much trouble to keep it going. Um, I'm very fond of, of quoting uh, Pat Sajak here, but he, just because he had it so exactly right on one of the podcasts, talking about the comments section on so many different sites, and he said, you can do something as innocuous as selling as a, sharing a, a recipe for Toll House cookies, you know, and three comments in, someone's being called a Nazi. It just becomes a food fight, you know, at the drop of yeah. a hat. But that that's not the case here, though. No, and uh, you know, and and I think people are very conscious of that too, and it's uh, it's kind of nice. I mean, even when people disagree, I mean, even when it gets a little edgy, it, it doesn't it doesn't really get up personal, which uh, which I appreciate. Yeah, well, and that was one of the things that they that Rob and and Peter tried uh, with the the small. I mean, it's not much, but the small fee each month, and I think their their favorite phrase was "people have skin in the game," but they tend to just kind of self police. To keep it from getting right. – because well, we own this place, right? The members do. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm also a moderator. Yeah. A, a small group that, that looks at that. I'm uh, I'm probably the the most lenient, most forgiving uh, one in that bunch. Um, but they do a good job. And most of the time, it's just a matter of, you know, inserting some commentary. Hey, you know, that's a little over the line. Don't do that. And, right. You know, and that, that seems to do it. But, uh, but more than that, it's the um, – there's a lot of diverse, interesting stuff on there. I mean, people who have very interesting experiences, people who are um, doing wonderful things with, you know, local history, people who know something about medicine, who have, you know, other interests. And so, you know, there's a stream of politics, and then you get you get a little bored with that, and then bang, there'll be, you know, something that takes you out of that. And that's uh, that's really wonderful. Right. Yeah. This is because there's so many so many different um, disciplines that people come from when they're when they're when they're writing and commenting. Yeah, you just you gotta, a, all just a plethora of different worlds that open up, which you know also means you you know you shouldn't uh, talk through your hat because the chances <laughs> of somebody having some expertise, you know, exactly <laughs> they will they will call your bluff if you're just you yeah. know full of it. Um, so I, I, I did, you mentioned that I did see that you're a mod, that you're a moderator. Now, for those who aren't familiar to, with the site, with the well, essentially a moderator uh, does what? Um, well, when. You're looking at comments on the off chance that, you know, somebody kind of, you know, goes off, um, gets a little bit personal, um, or if, and other things, like you shouldn't be uh, posting entire content from other 
pages of other websites. Yeah. If you want to put in a link, put in a link. I mean, you know, that kind of stuff. Right. And, you know, most of those tasks are pretty basic. And uh, and like I say, I mean, I've spent, you know, I've spent a whole day looking at virtually every comment and didn't see anything, you know, that was, you know, out of How line. cool is that? Yeah. And the moderators have, you know, talked to each other about things they've seen. What do you think of that? And so on. So, you know, it's not arbitrary. And, uh, you know, it's... Uh, it's, it's kind of kind of a nice product. Do you guys work in shifts? No, it's uh, in other words, you just kind of assume that somebody somewhere will be okay. you know, watching yeah. and and communicating and, and reviewing. So, uh, yeah, I, I know that this as the site has grown, I've I've often wondered about how how time consuming that particular responsibility is. So, alrighty, well, um, one last question, because I would be remiss if I didn't touch on this briefly, but how are you and yours getting along now with respect to the COVID-19 virus and the developments and all the changes and restrictions that we're seeing? Um, and we can do hundred percent of what we do, um, remotely okay. and, uh, been prepping for that for a long time. So, um, that personally i'm i'm okay uh, my wife's a teacher she's a little frustrated but she's doing her thing uh, remotely i'm uh, kind of terrified for some other people we have family members who own a, a restaurant and you know a couple of my kids uh, work on commission and you know tech oh. sales and yeah <clears throat> you know you just you just wonder how it's going to play out for, right for everybody else but right. so uh, anyway i guess we really have no choice at this point nope Nope, and we just just do, do, do what we have to do, control what we can control, and, and uh, see where it goes. Well, first of all, thank you very much for being a part of Ricochet. I mean, it, like you said, it's an, end, an endlessly interesting place to learn about folks and learn all kinds of things. So thank you for doing that, and thanks for agreeing to chat with us for here for a little while. It's, it's, been, it's been great. My pleasure, and uh, you know, thanks for uh, thanks for doing this. Absolutely, sir. Happy to do it, folks. That's old Bethos. I'm sorry, old Bethos on the Dave Carter program. It's the Dave Carter Show on Ricochet. That's old Bethos. Very interesting guy. Uh, one of the one of the highlights uh, way back when when Ricochet first started. It just it was just getting going, and I was driving an eighteen wheeler all over the country at the time. And uh, one of the best features of the site. Were the little get-togethers that various members would host, uh, literally all over the country. The very first one that I went to was, um, I think it was the first one, it was in Athens, Georgia, and uh, we must have we must uh, had have had over a dozen people there, and it was fantastic. Uh, it was just great. And then there was another one in Seattle, I believe. Uh, I think it was in concert with a Hillsdale College uh, seminar of some sort. I uh, went to that, met Rush Babe and a lot of other folks, and uh, it was fantastic. And I went to a meetup in Raleigh, North Carolina, another one at Nashville. Actually, I've been to two in Nashville, and a national meetup of sorts that took place in Las Vegas back in um, late 2013. Um, and then we had the Big Bash in Los Angeles, where we had a podcast on stage uh, it included Pat Sajak, uh, Peter Robinson, Rob Long, James Lilacs, Troy Sinek, Molly Hemingway, uh, yours truly, and a bunch of bunch of other folks. It was fantastic. And the thing that has always impressed me at these gatherings 
was how everyone uh, instantly bonded, it seemed, uh, with everyone else. I always got the impression that I was in the middle of a, uh, of a gathering of old friends who just had not met yet, physically. But they knew each other uh, rather thoroughly, actually, through reading their uh, various articles of, the, of their friends and their essays online and talking with each other in the comments, and it formed a community there. And uh, all that was missing from the friendship was actually saying hello in person, and when they did, it was like meeting an old friend and resuming the conversation where you left off online. It was always, always really a... Um, a transcendently pleasant experience, actually. And that was the exact case uh, whenever I first met our next guest. Those of you who have been involved with the Ricochet community for a low these last 10 years or so might remember uh, a guy we all refer to as affectionately as Doc J. He's an unassuming fellow. He's only about nine feet tall, as I recall. And, of course, uh, not very assertive at all, just a real wallflower, which is actually not quite the case. Doc J. earned his Bachelor of Arts in Biochemistry and Cell Biology at the University of California, San Diego, in 1988. In 1992, he earned his M.D. at Louisiana State University School of Medicine. He was a polymer chemist at the Naval Ocean System Center in San Diego before uh, doing his internal medicine residency at St. Vincent's Hospital in Portland, Oregon. He's worked as an internal medicine physician and an urgent care physician before becoming a solo practitioner uh, in Nevada. He was a concierge physician, which, of course, means that he worked primarily uh, at the Ritz-Carlton. <laughs> Do I have that right, Doc? <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, more like the Hyatt okay, Regency okay. Of, in of Incline Village, Nevada, but sure. the same concept. All right, and he's actually really one of the good guys and a friend. It's a pleasure to welcome welcome him to the program. How are you doing, Doc J? Uh, I'm doing fantastic. I'm enjoying uh, I'm enjoying retirement. Yeah, uh, and uh, uh, I'm glad I'm not working uh, I'm not working through this crisis, so I can uh, uh, be there for my family and hunker right, down and right. play board games. I turned fifty-four yesterday, and uh, oh, gosh. Uh, we played uh, we played the game of Clue, <laughs> and uh, and I got appropriately it. enough. Oh, you did? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, how how now? How long ago was it that you uh, you left your your uh, stopped practicing? Uh, it's almost two years now. Okay. Okay. Well, I was texting with our mutual friend, uh, podcaster, radio host extraordinaire Dave Sussman, and uh, he mentioned that you predicted to him several weeks back about how this virus would, in fact, uh, progress, and uh, it seems to be going according to what you said. So just talking about the virus itself right now, has there been anything about this uh, that has surprised you so far? Not in recent weeks. I, I knew what was going to happen uh -huh. uh, once I started studying it. So uh, I guess the surprise has been, you know, sort of the switch flip from uh, people going on with their normal lives to the social isolation and, yeah. and, and some of the, some of the, uh, hysteria, uh, out there, you know, that, that surprised me a little bit, but not that much, I guess. Okay. We've, we've heard a lot about flattening the curve in order to slow the rate of growth of this thing. Um, are the various measures that we see, uh, such as limiting international travel to the U S tightening border control. You mentioned the social distancing and the closure of various restaurants and venues, et cetera. Does that give us a good chance of actually slowing the growth of this thing? Uh, I, I'll be astounded if it doesn't work. Um, you're not going to see those numbers come out for probably about another 10 days or so. Because okay. once you make the, once you make the decision to do that, you need about two weeks to really assess the numbers. Cause 
you know, this virus has about a six-day incubation period, could be two or three days, could be up to a couple of weeks, but it's usually about six days. And then it begins to express itself. And some people it hits like a freight train. Other people it's very mild, but then later on they start to get a fever. So if you add up six weeks, six days incubation and then maybe another six or seven days for it to get some people's attention that no. they need to do something, you want to get out a couple couple of weeks from the time you instituted the measures. So what you're going to see right now are the increased testing that's finally come about. Uh, uh, you're going to see those numbers rise exponentially uh, every, you know, every day. It'll be going up. And then you're going to see it leveling out probably by the reports next Thursday or Friday. Mm -hmm. You're going to be able to see that kind of curve happen in this country. At the, at the latest, you'll see that. Okay. Uh, there's a line, I would imagine, uh, between uh, being prudent in your safety precautions and, and, and panic. So from what you've seen thus far, how do you think the country is doing at observing that line and not going into full-on craziness? I think the country is doing very well. You know, I think uh, uh, you can't get your information from the leftist media because they still have an agenda rather than uh, rather than what's best for America. So the people that are watching the news all the time uh, probably aren't doing so well. The rest of the country uh, is a lot more concerned with the financial implications than they are necessarily uh, uh, the illness part of it. Mm -hmm. So if the administration can handle the situation from a financial standpoint, I think uh, the uh, compliance and well, a compliance with measures will improve, and I think there'll be less psychological impact on people about what they have to do to uh, do their part to keep from community spread. Because there's so many people, especially young ones, that are walking around asymptomatic with this disease, so they are, they can be they can spread real easy. So those are the people that we should be reaching. Uh, Anyway, well, and uh, I think it's going to work. You, and you, you mentioned uh, the, the, the line between uh, health concern and financial concern, but it does bleed over, right? Because if you can't afford to put food on the table because you're out of work and you can't pay your bills, that's a health issue. Yes. And if I'm not blurring the distinctions here too much. Yeah, it's, our president has been the president of the common person more so than anybody in my lifetime. Maybe even more than Ronald Reagan. Mm -hmm. We'll see how history history judges uh, Donald Trump. Yeah. Um, the uh, the ability to create jobs, working class blue collar jobs, has been a priority of his economic team from the word go. Trade resets uh, and uh, deregulating uh, various various industries to get things going. So. I anticipate that the administration's response now will be to make sure that the working poor and the working middle class uh, don't go under. Yeah, I would I would be surprised if that's not his second priority. Number one is defeating the virus, and number two is keeping the economy going. I guess and number three would be making sure that the people that vote for him aren't pissed off. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've watched a little of a press conference uh, with with him, him and his team 
Uh, well, yesterday, actually, and they kept hammering the press that whether or not this should be this thing should be referred to as a Chinese illness or Chinese in origin, at least. Now, I'm a regular, you know, schmuck watching this thing. I'm infinitely more interested in what the official me- measures are that are being taken. So that whole line of questioning strikes me as petty. But just from your perspective, what are is, is there some medical utility, I guess, is what I'm asking in naming this thing with reference to the country of origin? Well, they always tend to do that. Um, it's not uncommon to to uh, uh, to label a disease based on where it came from. But there's a lot of political utility in it because you know, this happened with SARS, and um, swine flu probably came out of Mexico. Um, but uh, uh, th- this came from Chinese hygienic practices, and then it came into probably. No. Chinese hygienic practices, right. and then it then it came, came because of the nature of the Chinese regime itself. So they are one hundred percent responsible for this disease being unleashed upon the world. Uh, so let's let's go into two aspects of it: where did it come from, and then what was their response to it? Mm-hmm. Um, um, I began studying this disease in January. And the disease they claim came out of the uh, wet market near Wuhan. And if you haven't seen videos of it, it's rather interesting. There's just uh, a, a plethora of animals, a Noah's Ark of, uh, of, of uh, bizarre edibles. Yeah. Uh, they, they eat, they take live mice and they eat them. They'll take a frog and just, just eat a raw frog. And, you know, they, have, they have a number of bats there. Yeah. And the bats are used in a bat soup. So it may <clears throat> it may well have come from there because the the uh, coronavirus uh, uh, bats do carry strains of that. Okay. And so you know uh, this is a little little pieces of little pieces of uh, uh, RNA DNA and they, they can mutate. And this is a new strain. The other and that's probably where it came from. But the other possibility is there's the only uh, level four biolab in China is just miles away from that wet market. And if this was be I, I don't think this would have been released on purpose. But this thing is so contagious that it could easily have snuck out in one of the workers there. Okay. And um, how could one ever get reliable data uh, from uh, from China? They're not they're not honest individuals. Mm-hmm. Um the uh, the sequencing of the virus uh, initially did not look engineered, and that was about a month and ago that I read that report. Um, uh, however, uh, our government, I'm guarantee, has has looked at this closely, and they know whether this is an engineered virus or not. They're just not saying it. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so let's take a look at what happened. This disease breaks out in the fall. Uh, it begins to spread rapidly. You know, every disease has a number of people it infects. I think it's called an R naught is the uh, or R so. No, it's R naught R slash zero. Okay. Um, and this disease is at least two and probably more. Um, your average influenza virus, one person usually infects one other person. Mm-hmm. This one affects at least two, so it's going to go up. It's going to go up closely. It's going to double every six days or so. Um, so they start seeing this virus come out, and it begins spreading around, uh, especially in you know Hubei province, uh, where Wuhan is, and uh, and the doctors there start seeing it. 
there were eight doctors that started spreading the word that something was happening. Uh, all eight of them, the Chinese government went, shut down, and made them sign things that said this, that they were wrong. Uh, one of them, uh, I can't remember the gentleman's name, was a 34-year-old ophthalmologist. Um, not there. He was, he was away, but he saw it and reported, and he had the government come crack down on him. Then he got the disease in January, got in the hospital, and he's 34, and he died from this disease. Wow. Now – the odds of a 34-year-old dying from this disease are about 1 in 500. The odds that the Chinese would take somebody who blew the whistle and made them look bad and have them executed mm-hmm. by nefarious mm-hmm. means, yeah. probably a little higher than sure. 1 in 500. Sure. So who knows? Yeah. But the Chinese, that, that lends itself to what did the Chinese do? They suppressed it. They didn't share data with the world. They were worried about losing face, which is, I believe, everything to the Chinese, how they, how they appear. Yeah. And so officials did not uh, disclose data. And it was from the area of the illness all the way on up to the highest levels of the Chinese government. There was suppression. But it got out. And so by the time you saw this in January, the disease had already spread out of control by the time the news reports were really out and we had uh, we had the first case hit this country in january 21 and uh since i get to be on the radio now uh (laughs) it was really nice that the democrats were impeaching our president at this critical time when this virus is spreading nobody was paying attention to it uh from uh from our lawmakers yeah Uh, The president's team acted faster than almost anybody else in the world by February, by January 31st or February 1st, closing travel. So they were on top of it there. Um, But the cat was out of the bag. This disease was all over the world by the time the Chinese really sounded the alarm. And uh, they they need to be uh, they need to be held to account for that. Um, To the extent that you're I'm just going to fast forward here just looking to your crystal ball i guess to the extent that you're able or even inclined to speculate and i know that there are a lot of variables a lot of moving parts here how do you see all this playing out over time well i have uh are you still there sir yeah i'm here okay so i have a text that i sent to a friend right around uh, valentine's day actually mm-hmm. uh let me see if i can get a hold of it here and it was uh, related to uh, this. <clears throat> it's a doctor friend of mine. Yeah. He said, hey, doc, I'm pretty sure this coronavirus is as contagious as the common cold. 5% gets seriously ill, perhaps up to 15%, uh, but probably closer to 5 And the death rate is likely about 1 in 200 to 1 in 100 instead of the 3.5% initially reported. This will sweep the globe, barring some odd development. Maybe hotter weather slows it. Uh, you need to have a bunch of food at home. You need to have N95 masks and gloves at home. And you need to get your office ready for uh, this potential pandemic. Uh, so that was my advice to him uh, February 15th. Okay. Anyway, yeah. Yeah. Um, so just because I had that crystal ball doesn't mean that I'm going to have the crystal ball for uh, uh, the next one. Sure. Uh, I'm being for this next part. But yeah. my gut feeling is that you're going to see – the more efficient systems, the more efficient nations handle this uh, uh, much better. 
for instance, the lowest death rate right now is, is Germany by far. And they have maybe some 14,000 infections. But their death rate is uh, far better than anyone. It's like 0.3% or something. Okay. Um, they've lost like 30-some people. Um, and they hunkered down, protected their resources. In fact, the Italians were begging for ventilators and medical help, and Germany did not come help. So that EU brotherhood uh, <laughs> yeah. changed a little bit when right. people's lives were on the line in their own country. Yeah. Uh, I think our country is going to do exceptionally well over time. Uh, I believe in the people in this country. Uh, if they're given appropriate information, uh, we'll, uh, we'll do what's necessary. I believe our medical professionals are the best in the world. I've been in hospitals a lot recently uh, for a couple of rather sad reasons. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and things are being handled there. For the uh, for the folks that are listening to us right now, do uh, you have any advice you'd like to offer them? What would you tell them is the best way to see them and their families through this? Um, a lot of it has, I would say, a lot of psychosocial support. Mm -hmm. You know, you know how did the how did the Londoners get through the Blitz? You know what they the the, the I guess the British stiff upper lip. You know right. they had Winston Churchill walking the streets every day, uh, showing people that they could handle it. Um, I believe our administration is putting out tremendous messages. The only glitch was the testing, and that's been hammered. But our tests that we have out now are vastly superior to the ones the WHO had. Um, and uh, I think when people get ill, they're going to be able to get an answer very fast. Uh, if someone in your house gets ill, everybody needs to stay home. Everybody. Everybody. Mm -hmm. You can have a friend drop groceries off on your doorstep if you need them. Uh, uh, but that's that's important. Um, so I think uh, I think maintaining a sense of humor helps. Uh, so all of the social media and interactions that people have yeah. rather than gravitating towards the hysterical uh, uh, people move towards the comedy might be a, a better take. Um. What's your, what you, what's your sense on how long it will take to develop any sort of a, an effective uh, vaccine or countermeasure to this? Uh, the vaccines are, are uh, already begun trial. There's, I think, 40 or 50 people or something like that that uh, are in uh, Washington state that have been vaccinated already. And mm -hmm. they're getting another vaccine 28 days later. They're going to study them for a year. But uh the thing to do is to take that vaccinated person and put them around an ill person, and, and you'll find out uh, uh, soon enough if no. that's effective. Now, that's usually three months from the vaccine. They'll be able to say, oh, it works. Now we need to be, begin mass trials. You know, we'll vaccinate 500 or 1,000 people or something. They'll up the number considerably. Okay. And if that's successful, then they mass produce it. What my suggestion would be is if this vaccine looks successful, they mass produce it anyway, but they don't release it for three months. They do their phase two trial or whatever they would call it. I call see. it. Yeah. And when it's ready, boom, it's ready. ready you don't to have go to with. wait another few months to, to ramp up production. Right. Okay. Uh, so, so that's happening right now. We're going to have a vaccine for this disease quicker than we've ever had a vaccine ready for any other disease in the history of the world. Excellent. So will it be soon enough? No, you know, mm. to, but it'll be fast. Okay. Um, 
The other thing are various treatments. Now, probably the most effective treatment out there is somebody who's been cleared from coronavirus, still producing antibodies against it for a number of weeks or even months after the illness is cleared from their body. They have antibodies in their system. Mm -hmm. And you extract their blood and spin down the immunoglobulins and you'll have uh, a, uh, a shot with a, a immunoglobulin-rich shot with antibodies to this virus and will keep you from being infected. And I believe they've already tried it in people who are infected, but this is one of those that's a lot better to keep people from effective. And obviously the utility of that is uh, you, you can't mass produce right, that. Right. Uh, however, people like the president probably ought to be getting it. He might be getting it now. He wouldn't tell us, but that, that works. Yeah. The, um, you know, people, if you're exposed to hepatitis A, they used to give you an immunoglobulin shot. I don't know if you remember that or not, but yeah. it was a common treatment. Um, there is a treatment for, they've done a lot of experiment, a lot of work with uh, various AIDS drugs to see how effective they are. And they are somewhat effective. But a, a doctor in France just completed a small study, I think maybe 40 people, and it was double-blinded, uh, you know, a double-blind study, which is uh, 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 two Democrats reading a budget. <laughs> uh, so, um, so a double-blind study is the people that are getting the drug don't know if they're getting it or not, yeah. if they're getting it or the placebo, and the physician or person administering the drug doesn't know if they're getting the placebo okay. or the regular one. Yeah, yeah. So it was a solid study and it used uh, a combination of hydroxychloroquine, which is Plaquenil, which is a lupus drug, which is like chloroquine. Mm -hmm. It works on malaria, uh, although a lot of malaria is resistant to chloroquine now. Um, but those two anti-malarial drugs, one of the two, not both, in combination with a common Z-Pak or azithromycin, um, what it had is uh, the virus was clear from the person's bloodstream six days after beginning that course of action. Okay. Um, wow. As opposed to lingering for weeks. Right. Uh, and it was 100% at doing that. The, there's been other stuff with people who were taking the drug and exposed to patients with uh, coronavirus, with the Chinese Wuhan <laughs> yeah. Kung flu virus. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, I, I, sorry, I just said that because of the news yesterday. Yeah, I, I don't mean that in yeah, a negative way. I, I know. Anyway, uh, uh, it's okay. So these people were, 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 not, were not infected with virus that were taking that prophylactically, um, like a malaria prophylaxis. Mm. Uh, so that holds a lot of promise. I do not know where the materials are made for those anti-malarials, um, if they're from the uh, from the Chinese drug pipeline that uh, that they're threatening us with. Yeah. But if that study is true, and I guarantee that based on its success, larger people are going to be administered this cocktail. Mm -hmm. uh, if that's effective, you're going to see the only level of hysteria is going to be what are our supplies of these sure, drugs? Sure. Yeah. Uh, can we get enough? <clears throat> right. And things are going to slow down markedly. Uh, uh, in the end, if we can keep this disease to be compatible with that of a seasonal flu, we'll have beaten it. Okay. I know the seasonal flu infects 20, 30 million people mm -hmm. and, you know, 20 to, 
20 to 60,000 die every year. I think 20 some thousand have yeah. already passed away this year from the seasonal flu. Mm-hmm. So if we can keep it less than that, we'll be fortunate. I got it. And lastly, the most important question, um, do you have enough toilet paper? <laughs> well, my, uh, so I'll give you the evolution of this. So <laughs> by is, the is middle this the of the Xbox flu or what? I had, uh, I had plans, Dave, no. big plans. Yeah. Um, by the middle of February, I was mapping out everything. I had our Costco run done. I had toilet paper. I certainly have plenty of medications and other medical supplies in my house. So I was ready for it then, but I was mapping out other things. Like for instance, how soon when the panic hit should devolve into cannibalism? (laughs) And, uh, I I know you work for the IRS. I have had my eye on this pair of Mormons that have been combing the neighborhoods (laughs) for the longest time. And uh, because the the, the, the youth have the the most tender flesh. So if I'm going to go this route, you know. I want the best. Oh man, this is this has been so a good podcast also, while it lasted. <laughs> God, I also had a rather interesting adventure because yeah. I knew this was coming. I have a very good friend. He's the guy who started me, and I saved his life in 1996. Uh, uh, he was about to die of a heart attack, mm-hmm. and uh, he and I became fast friends. And he uh, had a fascinating life. He was the Purdue quarterback in 1944, and then. Uh, he was a, a, a tail gunner uh, or a gunner on a B-29, mm-hmm. um, you know, flew wow. under, flew under uh, Curtis LeMay and had all kinds of interesting stories there. Wow. Yeah. Uh, but he, he's in the process of uh, passing away from a variety of illnesses. And uh, I lived with him a long time ago for many months, and I've taken trips with this man all around the globe to go fishing with him. Mm-hmm. He's been very close to me and so i needed to say bye to him so i went up to uh i went up to seattle and i took people when i was going up there initially i had gloves on i had surgical booties on and i had a mask through the airport and people are looking at me like a freak because mm-hmm. you know <laughs> anyway uh and then anytime we went out i was practicing all these same precautions there and people are kind of looking at me funny and uh, I had to go in the hospital there a couple of times to interface with it. They were not ready for it. Uh, so even in an area two hours north of the hot hot zone of Seattle, when it just started, they were just gearing up to the seriousness of okay. it. Yeah. Um, so our country was a little late in responding to the seriousness of this. Uh, and I've been in a lot of hospitals hospital since then here i have a friend who's passing away of a, of a lung cancer so i was in a hospital this morning mm-hmm. and everybody is doing everything appropriate if mm-hmm. there's germs that people are spreading um it's not because the hospital isn't uh, doing everything possible right. to prevent it right. all right my friend doc you doc listen to me uh doc j thank you so much man for taking the time to talk with us and uh Lending your uh, my pleasure, Dave. God bless you and yours, sir. Thank you. Maybe we can talk again sometime when everything's going just peachy for a change, you know? <laughs> Love to. You right. Take care of that beautiful bride of yours. I will. Take care, Dave. I will. You take care, too. That's Doc J, everybody, on the Dave Carter Program.
was Doc J. Yeah, what a great guy. What a wealth of knowledge and some very real concerns that we have now. Well, are you liking what you're hearing here today? And have you joined Ricochet yet? If not, man, you could do yourself a huge favor by becoming part of the most civil and thoughtful right of center community on the web today. You like the podcast? Because we got all kinds of shows for you, from New York Times bestselling author Andrew Clavin's show, to former Secretary of Education Bill Bennett's program, to Law Talk with Professors Richard Epstein and John Yu and former George W. Bush speechwriter Troy Sinek, all the way to the flagship podcast with Peter Robinson, Rob Long, and James Lilacs, and then there's this little smorgasbord of fun, frivolity, and even the occasional serious discussion right over here. Now, you get all this for four and a half bucks a month, and that entitles you to the full access of the site, and you'll be able to read all the wonderful columns and articles on the member side of the website as well as the main feed and all of the podcasts. Additionally, you'll be able to comment on any podcast or post that you see on the site. If you want to comment to Peter Robinson directly or write to me or any other contributor, you can do that. And you can comment on all the member posts as well. And that ain't all, y'all, because just for $5 a month, you can see your work published here on one of the most influential and widely read sites on the Internet today. Now, I understand Ricochet is read in some of the most influential corridors of the country. There's no good reason why your voice shouldn't be heard at that level as well, right? But you know, there's a, that's not a bad deal. But, of course, we've gone and made it a little bit better here for the listeners of the Dave Carter Program. If you're not a member of Ricochet, but you're interested in, to see what it's like for free for 30 days, well, there's a way you can do that, too. You can go to ricochet.com slash gumbo. I mean, what a better way for a Louisiana Cajun to make this offer, right? Just brought yourself on over to ricochet.com slash gumbo, <laughs> and you're going to pass a good time. <laughs> uh, free, free, 30, free 30-day trial membership, what we're talking about. As we say back home, that's a good thing, yeah. So, again, that's ricochet.com slash gumbo, G-U-M-B-O, and you, too, can join the conversation. That's some good music, isn't it? It's Dave Carter. Who leads the league in most offensive categories, including nose hair. <laughs> when this guy sneezes, he looks like a party favor. This has been a lot of fun today, folks. I have thoroughly enjoyed this. I hope it's been informative for you. And then you got a few laughs along the way. I can tell you it's been a real treat for me to put this together for you. I don't mention it, don't mention it actually uh, very often, but I have my own little website as well over at DaveCarterOnline.com. Now, that site serves as a repository of sorts for a great many of the essays and columns I've written over the years, many of which predate my involvement with Ricochet. And, uh, you know, back when I was writing for a few family, friends, and members, um, for my own sanity as much as anything else because writing is about as natural to me as breathing and as necessary. So if you'd like, take a trip on over there. You'll see uh, links to various articles that capture my interest each day, along with tons of articles I've written and a nice collection of podcasts that I've done. Uh, there's another page on DaveCarterOnline.com as well called the Inkwell, and that's where I write more personal introspective pieces uh, exclusively for the website's readers. It's kind of a running stream of consciousness, or semi-consciousness in my case, but I think you'll find it interesting all the same. 
Along the same lines, if you like what you're hearing today, uh, please drop in over uh, at uh, iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify or Google Play, which are the platforms that carry this show. Leave us a five-star rating and perhaps share a comment or two in the comments section uh, if you feel uh, so inclined. That kind of thing really helps us out over here, and uh, it helps the show continue to grow. I think I mentioned last time around we got some encouraging news about the growth of the program recently and its listener base and the fact that we are listened to uh, right now literally all over the world. At, at this moment, the program is being heard here in the U.S. as well as in over 45 other countries. I mean, how cool is that? So I want to thank each and every one of you for listening. That means so very much to me, and it keeps all the shenanigans going here at Full Tilt. And with thanks to Doc J, Ricochet member Old Bethos, and even little old Ross Perot. And always with a very special thanks to you, the listener, I am Dave Carter for Ricochet.com.